The opinions and views expressed as part of this podcast in no way represent those held by American Football Ireland or the Irish NFL show. This show is just a bit of crack, lads, so please, no giving out. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Domestic Game Podcast, where we cover all of the insights and stories across American Football Ireland. We are This week saw the return of Kidda football with the game being played between the Belfast Knights and the Craig Alvin Cowboys in People's Park. The game finished 30-13 in favour of the Knights and so we caught up with some of the Knights players to see what happened during the game. So by all reports the Cowboys started off strong uh, scoring uh, two passing touchdowns on their starting drives. However after that the Knights defence was able to shut them out for the rest of the game and get the job done. Yeah so like the Cowboys were like pretty disappointed with the scoreline and um, as you were saying Kelly, like they started off very very excitingly. Uh, great mix of veterans and new players coming along you know Christian McCown he threw two two touchdowns for the Cowboys uh, Liam Devlin Lewis Alberto both getting scores the Lewis Alberto kid he um was a real game changer type player when they met the the Minotaurs in 2019 in the IFL one bowl uh if you remember I think that God, it's a while ago now, but that game, I believe the Minotaurs came out strong. They had quite a comfortable lead at halftime and it was the Cowboys that were able to turn the tide during that game. And I can remember that kid, Luis Alberto, making uh, like a huge run up the sideline uh, for a touchdown, just absolutely smoked the defence. There was a video of it that did the rounds on social media after. Yeah, no, like having played against him before, um, the kid's got burners. Yeah, he does. The licence to run. Yeah. You know, looking at that scoreline, you could be disappointed from the Cowboys' perspective, uh, but like the Knights, only after going down from the SBC after like many, many year up there, uh, what could we put this sort of defeat for the Cowboys down to? Maybe the loss of Joe Buchanan moving down to Dublin. Big loss for the Cowboys there. Big loss for their administration as well. And it's something that we're seeing in the leagues more often is that the administration behind the teams is what's allowing the teams to, to be successful on the pitch. So, for example, we saw that in the 2019 Shamrock Bowl where arguably the two most organised teams, um, the South Dublin Panthers and the Belfast Trojans, were who we saw in the final that year. So, straight back to the game at hand, what went right for the Knights on the day? Um, they put it down hugely to a very young, new team uh, that has worked a lot on their conditioning. And, I mean, conditioning is something that's fundamental. You do see that conditioning is what makes the difference in that uh, fourth quarter uh, of any American football game. The Knights said that the Cowboys struggled to contain that their powerful run game and their spread passing game and that that was how they ultimately were able to turn the tide. Uh, the Knights were also able to keep fresh legs on the game and not pick up too many injuries whereas apparently injuries were uh, something that really hinders the Cowboys during this game. Yeah, it's actually going to be something that's going to be very interesting to see Like, because as we all know Belfast Knights always have a big squad. Uh, they're going to be moving down in Division 9 next year after getting relegated from the Shamrock Bowl but if they still bring those numbers with them playing with a, a sort of a mixed offence with a strong run game and good aerial attack it's going to be very very difficult for any of the lower teams to like come up to that level and even compete as you say Kelly like, with the level of conditioning that they already have throughout the team you know you've got that for maybe a, a 35-40 man roster going up against a team with like 18 players 
come third, fourth quarter, that like condition, that experience is really going to show and it's going to be, you know, nights out. Oh, I love it. But that's a very good point, Rob. And if anything, the Knights are probably one of those teams that have really benefited from the break in football this year because last year was a difficult year for the Knights, as we all know. Um, They were going down a division they also had a huge uh, move of players you know their O-line seemed to migrate, migrate there over to the the Belfast Trojans that was a very quiet subtle affair so this year it's important for them to take the opportunity to rebuild the team to get fresh blood onto that team it's a team that is going to benefit from from this break our on the ground reporters have said that the Knights have also taken the opportunity to rebuild the run game and not rely on some of their older players their older veterans as much as what they had done in previous seasons and so I think that I mean they're a fine fine example of a team that's really taken advantage of the year that's in it this year yeah like I know you said like this was an opportunity for them to blood some of their rookies but it is going to be great to see the likes of Jordan Clinton, Matty Kasky coming back. You know, Kasky being such a you know a big body able receiver. Yeah. You know, he's a threat against any defense. Yeah. And from like meeting him there two years ago down in Dundalk when Nick Novak held a kicker's training camp, you know, the man can catch and kick. Yeah, and block. I mean, he's he's quite a. Uh, that's that's what he's doing on the uh, Wolfhounds team. He's more so a, a block and block and receiver than he is uh, like a catch and receiver or pass and receiver. So, um, I mean, the man can kind of arguably can do it all. When you come to the Wolfhounds, you know, with Sean Goldrick. Sean Goldrick, that's it. Like, do you really need anyone else to catch a ball? Yeah, you know, he is a one man show. In fairness. I also want to give a shout out to Chrissy McKee who had some fantastic pass uh, breakups during the game. There's a lovely picture of her and William Bowl going around where he's patting her on her helmet. Very, very sweet. And uh, just goes to show that women can do it too. Knights Cowboys is only really the start of the return to kid of football. This weekend coming, we have the inaugural Donaghy Invitational Group Cup. Yep, that's it. And I think that it's a real testament to our teams this year, how much they love football with what they've done with the opportunities that they've had. You know, credit to Brian Cleary. He has put in a lot of work before his term as commissioner ended to create some sort of opportunity for teams to be able to play any type of kitted football, albeit it's not uh, competitive. But you see the teams like the Razorbacks, the Giants, Jets and Vipers all working together to create this four week league where there is going to be a kind of a a winner I say that in quotation marks um, by the end of it and it's just a nice testament to our teams um, how much they enjoy football how much they understand the competitive requirements that are needed to make football fun and uh, credit to them and the hard work that they're putting in you know we can call it fun at this early stage you know but once all those men take the gridiron it is not going to be fun it is going to (laughs) be war when you see the likes of the Vipers rolling into New Forge against the Razorbacks that is going to be a classic. I was talking to Daniel Agnew there recently of the uh, the Razorbacks. He's there boasting a squad of over 50 people. That's nearly untold outside yeah. of the Shamrock Bowl football sort of scene. If they're having that amount of people this early on, say if you even had a 60% retention level, you still got 30 people going to be turning up kitted for the Razorbacks of a Sunday. Yeah, That's going to be a real, real interesting battle you know, how they've developed from their initial, you know, start as a club to what was a pretty steep decline and then what seems to be, you know, a rocket pace rebuild to get back up there, to get the numbers, to get the training facilities. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see how they've come along. Yeah. 
So the Razorbacks um, are playing the Giants. Kickoff is at 11. Who do you have for that game? I'm going to be bold. I'm going to back the Razorbacks. Oh, he's back in the Razorbacks. I'm going to go with the Giants. I think the Giants are going to get it done. I think that they're a team who has been present in, in this league since their formation. So, But that's the thing. They've just been present. Whereas here back in the Razorbacks, we're on the rocket ship to the moon. <laughs> okay, I won't argue with it. Or as some might say... The pig's back. Um, then after that, we have the Giants versus the Vipers. So that kickoff is at half two. Who do you have for that game? Vipers this year, they're rolling with Paul O'Donnell, you know, in a QB. The man most famously for playing in the, the DN position. Ripe old age or ripe young age of 45. You know, the man's doing what Tom Brady could only aspire to do. And that's play American football here in Ireland. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I think you have to like go with the Vipers. The Vipers they've been training for they've been a quality squad, you know, from their sort of the start, where they had a, quite a few players who would have come to them from the original Tyrone Titans team. Um, they've got a youth squad in their development. Last year they even started flag to keep themselves going, taking over. They've managed to put in the groundwork. The Looking from their social media, they're boasting a big enough squad. Uh, they look to be well drilled. Um, Again, another team that has fantastic organisation behind them. Shout out to Frida Gallagher, who does an awful lot of fantastic work with them. Uh, yeah, but I'm with you. I'm going to back the Vipers as well. Uh, we believe in Paul O'Donnell. Donald, let's get it done. In pod we trust. In the kitted football, we see the start of a scrimmage, not a game. Uh, in the Southern Leagues where the South Dublin Panthers and the Meath Bulldogs will meet this Sunday in Ashburn. That's a very interesting game with actual close links between both clubs from the coaching element of things. Yeah, exactly. We've Coach Mack, who is the head coach of the South Dublin Panthers, who used to be with the Meath Bulldogs. And then we have the opposite as well, where we have uh, Conor O'Sullivan, who is the defensive coordinator of the Meath Bulldogs, who used to be associated with the South Dublin Panthers. I think... You know, in fairness to me, the Bulldogs, it, it's ambitious. It is ambitious to take on the South Dublin Panthers, who, as we know, were in the uh, Shamrock Bowl final there in 2019. Uh, the Meath Bulldogs were in the IAFL1 final uh, against the Crusaders and missed out on that. So, uh, I mean, it's a scrimmage. I know it's a friendly. I'm sure that it will be more of a... It's been described as being more of a training session, um, but I think it's brilliant. It's fantastic in that this is what the lower teams kind of need to be doing is training with the higher teams. And I think that's going to be a big uh, help in, in for those lower division teams in terms of bridging that gap between them and the SBC. You're right, Kelly. It's a massive boost for both teams. It allows the, the lower division teams to get some experience going up against the likes of the Panthers. But it also gives the Panthers an opportunity to give some of their younger, more inexperienced players uh, a run out in what is really only friendly in name against a team that is going up to Dublin looking for a, a victory or a moral victory, if we can call it that. Yeah, and that is a good point because... Um Something that the South Dublin Panthers have been very good at in the last two years is their youth programme, where they've been quite professional about how they've gone about it and literally have been featured in newspapers um, advertising 
their their academy even the name the academy brings a kind of a professional air to it so I mean I really think it's only a matter of time before we see 18 year olds 19 year olds coming up through that team that are, are really gonna uh, be very competitive in in that league and a uh, game against a team like the Meath Bulldogs is exactly what they need to um, be bloodied as it were yeah like talking about the youth team there with the Panthers uh, already like with uh, their quarterback situation you know they're set up definitely for the next four or five years the likes of Jack Doyle coming through there you know having seen him at uh, Wolfhound's flag uh, trials the kid's got a cannon of an arm like for someone so young he's already so well developed uh, I haven't seen his presence in a pocket you know if there's linemen coming in trying to get at him but he looks sturdy he looks like he would be well fit to drop the shoulder and keep on trucking yeah and the targets on that team for a young QB are as good as as they can be Sean Goldrick there um who is just a dream for any QB to try and to try and pass to they really are like quite a you know a diverse team with such youth players some elder players um you know a few players that are kind of in the middle the likes of your Ryan Hewitt and Ryan Eccles uh, Alan Barnwell there, you know, giving a great influence and guide to anyone younger coming through. Yeah, I think it's become clearer and clearer as the years have went on that having a youth team is the vital way to future-proof the success of an organisation. You know, by getting the players in at a young age, you're able to teach them the basic fundamentals from catching, tackling, route running, stuff that's a lot easier to pick up and adapt to at such a young age such as 15 16 17 as opposed to someone who is coming in at a later stage say in maybe their mid-20s not that it isn't possible for someone in their mid to late 20s to come into the sport and pick it up to a very high standard but the sooner you learn anything the the better you are adapted to using what you learn going forward yeah and I think we're as a league we're moving away from this idea that you know 20 20 guys can come together and start a team and those be the core guys of the team we're seeing a lot more teams that have a like a healthy rotation of of rookies of your your vets and your players that leave um in terms of of playing and become more coaching or more involved in the in the administration side of teams so we're starting to see that kind of come into teams a lot more and I think that's healthy and that's part of the national a natural development of any team within a league you know with any team a team is family when you're out there training you know midweek middle of january the only thing that nearly will keep a lot of people out there is the other people that are around you that sense of family that sense of belonging and if you're growing up with these guys you know knowing that number 21 he's got your back when there's a some kid who's six foot two towering down on you you know, you're going to stay around because you want to play with that person. You want to be alongside them through the good, through the bad. And the younger you get into these games, you know, the more of a chance there is of actually keeping with the sport. Yeah, I agree. So as something for all clubs, the development of a youth um, a youth string of your organisation is quite a crucial thing to future-proof yourself as opposed to other teams in the past who have know burnt bright burnt fast burnt quick and burnt out 
looking into the future then there's potential for what is being called an autumn league um, which is a proposal that has been put together by the UL Vikings we may see that uh, with teams such as Kildare Crusaders Cork Admirals and the Wexford Eagles obviously it's all very early stages at the moment but um, really hope that this six league six week league will go ahead and uh, all power to you guys yeah Kelly no I totally agree it's great that we're actually going to get to see some kitted football played in the south there's been so much focus on the northern teams in relation to returning to kitted getting the likes of the admirals ul the eagles and even the crusaders into a bit of action against each other is excellent with something as we always say at times the uh, the league can be quite uh, a city centered sort of events where you've got other teams in dublin you've your teams in belfast it's great that the team sort of on the geographical fringes are actually getting a chance to come together and play some football there's going to be some very interesting games there the likes of the admirals who have had years of success ul vikings who are you know always a playoff contender the wexford eagles who have an excellent playbook who are fascinating team to watch it's such enjoyment so yeah. so versatile in their plays big uh, Kevin Klatt fan I have to say he's their head coach I just think like his understanding of football really comes across Coach K all the way Coach K all the way and then you know you've got the Crusaders like as you know I think this podcast has given the Crusaders enough love so far so we'll just leave it as the Crusaders are also in the mix yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, for me, I'm very interested in what the Cork Admirals are going to do because, uh, I mean, they were a contender for the Shamrock Bowl in 2019. If we think back, them not making it was actually a bit of an upset. Nobody, I think, was backing the South Dublin Panthers to beat them in the playoffs, and yet it happened. But they are a good team, and specifically, I think their QB doesn't get enough love. Uh, His name is... Stephen Hayes uh, he's also one of the Wolfhounds QB and he is I mean like he has a cannon and- oh, like, I fully get what you're saying you know like going into the season many people if you didn't know the dynamics behind the South Dublin Panthers would have went you know admirals to the end here but there was quite a mass exodus in recent years of players who would have been top quality players starters from the likes of the UL Vikings who made the transition to the Panthers and then that Panther, that UL Vikings squad of many a year, which was always nearly playoff bound, you know, finally found their footing in the Panthers, brought the Panthers all the way to the final. You know, the Admirals, I think they were just kind of caught a bit short. You know, they were going into that game being like, oh, this is, this is ours for the taking. And at the end of it, they just, you know, they left what they had on the pitch and they left the victory there, to, yeah. be, to be frank. Yeah. So last Saturday saw the kickoff of the flag teams only shield. Rob, why don't you talk about what this shield is all about? Thanks, Kelly. So this Saturday saw the first weekend of the inaugural summer flag football shield for the flag only teams. Took place down in Tremor Valley Park in Cork and was hosted by the Cork Outlaws. Uh, Unlike ASAP Rocky, I love them good pitches. The teams featured this Saturday were the Dublin Bay Raptors, the Eden Derry Eagles, Downpatrick Saints, Maynooth University Hurricanes, Belfast City Lions, Thomastown Tigers, Cork City Outlaws and the Dublin City Quetzals. So it was actually the first outing of flag football for the Tigers, the Lions and the Quetzals. Yeah, Tigers, Lions and Quetzals, oh my. I think the superstars of this Saturday... For me, it has to be the Edenderry Eagles. I mean, they put up a a 6-0 against the Dublin Bay Raptors and the Dublin Bay Raptors are a good flag team. Yeah, but going into this, 
tournament, like many tournaments, Eagles are the defending champions. So realistically, them putting up 60 points on any team, you know, is is not surprising. I'd be more surprised when they only put 20 points up on the board or 22 points as they did against the Outlaws. But that's not the only sort of performance that we can really look at here because everyone knows that the Eagles, the Eagles are going to fly. But the likes of the newer teams, the likes of the Tigers, the likes of the Lions, the likes of the Quetzals, you know, Quetzals coming away there with a win against the Tigers, the Tigers coming away against the Saints with a win, and then even the, the Lions, the Lions coming away with a win against the... Quetzals. Quetzals. You know, some interesting football, some great football. From talking to anybody who was down at the games, the team that they all said was some, some team to watch was the Thomastown Tigers. Based in Thomastown in Dublin, they're a new team, you know, first sort of outing for them against any other club. And their players are meant to just be pure, raw athletes. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, they don't have uh, a lot of numbers. I think they literally just had the five players that they played on offense and defense. So if you can imagine playing 40 minutes on offense and defense every single snap and coming away with a 33-12 win against the Saints... I mean, it's got to be noticed. Yeah, and a narrow loss of two points against the Quetzals. Like, they are a team that I feel are to be reckoned with. As I was talking to a few of the guys down there, that wasn't even their full squad. They have usually on average about 11, 12 players at training. So to rock into Cork with five, come away with one win, that's a very successful day for them just starting out. Yeah, and even just focusing on that game between the Tigers and the Saints, the halftime score was 4-6 to the Saints. And the Tigers came back in the second half to to score 29 unanswered points. Something we're seeing in the kit a lot is this migration of, of teams from one team to the other. So, I mean, we touched on it with uh, many of the UL Vikings players who moved over to the South Dublin Panthers recently. And again, we saw it in Belfast with the Belfast Knights O-line moving over to the Belfast Trojans team uh, there in 2020 before the covid um break we also see that in the flag section of america football ireland where we saw a migration of the belfast trojans flag team over to the belfast city knights their first outing rob like how do you how do you think they did i think like going into this the lions would have definitely been expecting to get two victories but when you're driving from belfast to cork in a day then having to play these games and then drive back again you know it's a tough battle. It is a tough battle before you've even got onto the pitch. It coming up against the Raptors, you know, the Raptors won that game pretty convincingly. But, you know, beating the Quetzals in a, what was a, a tight scoring game, 13-6. to There's definitely plenty of positives that the, the Lions can take from it. Uh, looking from what they've had, talking from a few of their co- to a few of their coaches, they have two squads more or less ready to go. You know, I wasn't actually there at the game day myself, so I'm wondering, would these scorelines maybe be a bit reflective of what some of the teams with the bigger squads are doing, in that there's quite a, a mix of players playing at any one time, where you might have, say, two veterans and three rookies, or three veterans and two rookies, and possibly that these sort of things can factor into the final scores, and then maybe even skew what we see. And that, you know, the box score actually isn't telling the full story of what happened on the day. Yeah, so just even to put that into perspective, these summer shields in relation to the autumn shield, are they as competitive or are these more league to championship, let's say, if we were to use GAA as the metaphor? We will not use GAA as the metaphor. (laughs) 
we'll use American football because that's what we are doing. No, so is this preseason. This so- this is more of a this is this really Summer Shield was set up as an opportunity to sort of give our members in American football Ireland the chance to get playing football. Like everyone has been so deprived for so long, but getting out and just you know catching passes, you know doing something just being around people like you can clearly you can clearly see the joy in people's faces of just like getting out and you know seeing someone who wasn't a family member for once and so these these shield terms was really just about you know having fun and getting people who may have played flag football before or may not have played flag football before the opportunity to get out you know and see that wow there is a wider community with plenty of teams so I would say that all the teams are taking this very, very seriously at the minute, but it is in a, a sort of a, a more fun, relaxed sort of environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose it's just a snippet to how the autumn leagues are going to go as well. It's just given us a precursor, but is by no means uh, indicating how they're going to go. No, like come the actual uh, regular league season, I, I feel that there'll be um, some of these scores will be what they are and that they'll be just a distant memory i think one of the surprise performances of the weekend uh, has to be the performance of the Downpatrick saints against the minute hurricanes you know the hurricanes who made it to the last uh championship final in their the old glass bowl and who actually now play in the premier division north conference only winning that game by one point against against the saints you know that was a great performance by the saints um, you'd have to maybe question what happened to the Hurricanes. I know they've had a few players out injured um, with a couple of dislocated fingers here and there. Uh, but you've got Joe Kinahan standing in there, a quarterback. Uh, you know, solid man there in the backfield. But the Saints to like, not just hold out, but also to put up those numbers, I would have to say since they've started playing flag football, that would be one of their best performances. And then on Sunday, we saw the multi-code teams head into action in Mullingar Rugby Club. Yeah, so the teams featured were... The Lyle Mavericks. Trinity, the Rebels, UCD. Westmeath Minotaurs. The Kildare Crusaders. North Dublin Pirates. But yeah, um, like a, a lot of that action, you know, it went pretty much to the script. Uh, the only, I don't know if you can call it a major shock, was the, the draw between UCD and Trinity. Yeah, I mean, I, I was shocked by that. I wouldn't have thought um, that Trinity and UCD should should have drawn in that. But I mean, it's a credit to UCD that a lot more numbers there. Um, did a lot more numbers there on Sunday, and that made all the difference. Especially some of their better flag players, such as uh, Michael Sykes and uh, Sean Douglas, there returning that we didn't see the weekend before, just makes all the difference. Yeah, but even with the return of Douglas and Sykes. You know, UCD were still missing their quarterback, Aaron Mooney, who the week before was, you know, slinging dimes. Yeah. And I mean, it was funny watching the the quarterback that was there because first off, he was not a bad QB, but also he was just giggling to himself the whole game. I mean, like he could throw, he could throw and, and score a TD on that play or he could throw and, and, and get intercepted and he was just giggling and laughing and like that that's the thing with flag is like it is competitive and those teams do get competitive but it is also enjoyable on every single play it's something that can change end to end in literally the blink of an eye 
Yeah. And speaking of games that were to and fro, to and fro, I think we'd be doing the Mavericks and Injustice if we don't mention their game against UCD, which was a to and froer where the Mavericks would go up and then UCD would uh, respond with a touchdown and then Mavericks would respond with a touchdown and the game finished on a 30-33 lead to UCD. But really that one could have gone either way. Yeah, like like we were saying with the, the previous day's auction, you know, quite a mix of a squad there for the Mavericks. A lot of their younger players mixing in with uh, some of the, the older players. We got to, like, commend them for what they managed to do. But at the end of the day, from looking at the tape, Mavericks have no one to blame but themselves for that loss. Getting beat deep after taking the lead on, I think, two occasions, straight after scoring a touchdown, conceding a touchdown nearly on the very first play, just basic mental errors in letting players get by them um, playing their, their zone coverage too shallow and getting beaten the long bombs it happened on more than one occasion players not being able to sort of put those mistakes behind them moving on to the next play sort of living in the past and then allowing the past to repeat itself so hopefully it's stuff like that that the younger players in the Mavericks can actually you know get past going forward because like I said, very some very good young players. Um, the likes of Reese Fordham, who's only after joining the club. Some excellent catches. Still very raw, but has great potential in what he can do. You know, him lining out with the likes of Brendan Sims is only going to help improve his uh, ability over the next few years to play. Six touchdowns for the day from Brendan Sims. You know, it's quite an achievement for any player. But for himself, you know, he would set that kind of as his minimum target. Uh, anything less than that wouldn't be acceptable for him you know he's the kind of player that you're looking at that and you're wondering to yourself why has he not got a Team Ireland call up also wanted to give a shout out to Jorge what's Jorge's second name Jorge Herrera very nicely pronounced there uh, for me Jorge before Brendan Sims went off Jorge for me was getting game ball I mean very very safe hands great uh, great assistance to his QB in that he was saying look I'm beating my guy you know pass me the ball I know I can do it and uh, he did he had some very nice catches on the day I think that's something that you have to always be aware of like no one ever suspects the centre you know you cannot afford in this sort of game to forget that the centre's there you may not be used to seeing him catch a ball and kill it in flag he's getting open he's making catches all day he's making catches all day he's getting in the end zone yeah, and uh, while we're on the topic of teams that use their centres quite wisely, I think that the Minotaurs here are a team that we can mention because um, we saw it there on Sunday whereby um, within the no-run zone, so within, what is it, five yards? Five yards out from the end zone, yeah. Five yards out from the end zone, we saw the likes of the Minotaurs score um, a touchdown whereby they just did a quick little pass to their man, their centre, Joe Coyne. Joe Coyne, Joe Coyne has... An incredible catch radius. If you put that ball, like he's a lineman, you put that ball anywhere within about a sort of a six foot wingspan of him, he's picking it out of the air as if he's Odell Beckham. Like it is something that from watching the mentors over the past few years, it is a very common play they have when they get that close to the end zone. You're just playing with a, a bunch formation, you send your three receivers out one way, you send Coyne out the other way, and you know, you've got yourself six points. Then the North Dublin Pirates. Okay, so it didn't go the way of the Pirates this weekend. How and ever those guys are having good fun. Still waiting on them to actually buy their own flag belts. But no, they are a great outfit. Like I've never seen any team in any code of American football play with five quarterbacks. 
each quarterback bringing something new. You've got one guy who's hitting slants day in, day out. If you see him, they're running slants. If you see the number 81 in the backfield, you know, he's throwing it deep. Uh, like, it was a whole barrage of things. You're trying to work out what are they doing next and, you know, by who they have in the backfield. It's 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 crazy stuff. It's, it's college football meets NFL. It's something, like, you're not going to see before. Didn't have the desired effect to uh, get them a W. But... Here, you're going to enjoy watching them. It's a bit of fun. It's a bit of crack when you have the Pirates in town. And like in their first game against the uh, the Mavericks, as we were talking, you know, Mavericks didn't have that good of a, a defensive day. Um, Pirates were scoring. Pirates scored, I think, 18 points. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, like, I think that the, the Pirates were very competitive in that first half against the Mavericks. I do feel that in the second half, the Mavericks just elevated it, particularly on offense. I really do think that the Mavericks' offense had its day um, there on Sunday. It just connected. Everything was working well. The ball was moving well. It's just those little, little niggly things on defense that just need to be ironed out. Yeah, like, you know, and it's just one of those things that you can train as much as you want, but until you get out onto the pitch and get actual action against another team, you really don't get to see what works and what doesn't work. After a couple of weeks in training, everyone kind of knows the system. So when everyone knows the system, you don't see how that really plays out in a game. So you get a sort of a false sense of either this is working or this is not working. And until you actually go head to head in combat, you know, that's when you find out, well, that's okay or we need to change this i think that from the past sort of two weeks of action that is quite clear for their the mavericks defense that there is stuff not working yep agreed of course i'll be coming back after my injury so that'll make all the difference dr kelly dwyer who dislocated her shoulder in training and then put it back in herself on the pitch psycho But moving away from the likes of Mavericks, someone who we've talked about before on this podcast, and we finally actually got his name, Ben Dowling. My God, has if you haven't, go to the Facebook page, look at what was touchdown of the week. Ben Dowling, aerial acrobatics, slinging touchdowns. You know, this is ESPN Sports Reel highlights. You know, you're watching Red Zone and all cameras are going to this play. This was something you... You just, you dream of. Yeah, yeah. So Ben Dowling, for context, is the quarterback from Trinity. Um, And the touchdown that we're talking about, check it out on uh, the social media, the social media channels, the domestic game. Right, I think that finally brings us then to the Dublin Rebels. Like, what can we say? Rebels, Rebels rolling into town, rolling deep. You know, another squad of 18 players turning up on game day talking to uh, Nicholas Gogarty of the Rebels he's their flag head coach uh, he could have taken double that squad everyone there at the Rebels wants to play like we said last week you know Rebels are enjoying football Rebels are having fun and seeing those smiles in, on the faces of all those kids out there is testament to it when you've got the the some of the youth players like Dave King Dave King Sunshine 20 you know out there having another day um, making catches his athleticism and his sort of his mobility and movement to like dive through the air to make catches and he will lay out for every ball is like it's something to be commended at times he showed a little bit of inexperience when allowing you know some trash talk to get into his head you could see that that was 
you know, affecting maybe some of his performance. But if yeah. he can manage to just sort of drown the noise out, you've got an excellent player coming through there for the Rebels. We also got to see that the likes of Dave King and even some of the younger players are still being um, quite heavily coached by their QB, Ty Henry. I think at this stage we could nearly call this the Ty Henry podcast, um, where you're just seeing what he is bringing to the team, where he's really bringing on these younger players who have the natural athleticism. So there were times through plays where... um, the wide receivers would start running their routes. Uh, QB, Ty Henry, would hold on to the ball just for a little while. And while he still had this ball in his hand, he's saying to his players, he's saying, no, come back, you know, come back off that route. And that player would come towards him. And the next thing, the the player down the deep side of the pitch completely opens up because the um, defensive players are drawn towards this player running towards the QB. And it's that type of understanding that uh, Ty Henry is bringing to flag football. And uh, like that, he just lobs that deep ball all the way down, touch down every time one thing I will say is though that when Ty Henry has the ball seven seconds seems a lot longer than it is it certainly does <laughs> Ty Henry also seems to have learned a new skill this week where we saw him running a lot more than we did the previous week um, I think that that his lack of running in the previous weeks was literally just because he didn't know the rule I was on the sideline doing a bit of filming for the Mavericks and the Pirates game and one of the play calls that the Mavericks QB called was a snap to the running back the running back offloads to the QB and then the QB has full right to run and uh, our QB ran it into the end zone on that occasion and Ty Henry was there on the sideline and asked you know what is this rule I've never heard this rule before and so we explained the rule to him and then in the next game uh, he implements this and I think that that's just really a, a good indication of the understanding of football but also the creative the creativity in football it's like oh we've seen something in a previous play that we want to try out yeah no like it's something's great to see is like uh, a lot of teams have already kind of started adapting their playbooks to stuff that they've seen the previous week um adding a bit more to the weaponry ty henry being able to take off the way he can take off was a uh, quite quite a, a showing for everyone uh, just one thing that the Rebels need to just be careful of is that once he passes the line of scrimmage, everyone else needs to stop moving. You know, it was okay there with it being sort of a sh- the Shield tournament, but on the actual sort of game day of the, the regular league season, if some of those players are moving, they will get called for shadow blocking. Yeah, that's really the, the sort of the highlights from this week's flag football action. Okay, so that brings us to our power rankings from the previous weekend's football, um, starting with the Saturday games. Who's at the bottom? Um, no disrespect to them, but I think it's pretty pretty obvious who's going to be bottom of the power rankings of the flag-only Summer Shield this stage. Uh, it has to be the Downpatrick Saints. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think it has to be. Um, They've come a long way since last year even, but still, you know, still building, still developing, um, still searching for wins. I think that's followed closely then by the Cork City Outlaws. You know, Cork, Cork uh, City Outlaws, great facilities, absolutely fantastic bunch of guys to work with. Um, for Thank you for them for hosting the weekend. Uh, you know, they've got, you know, a, quite a, a mix of players. They were very unfortunate in their first game. Uh, one of the new younger players actually tore his hamstring pretty early on. Uh, he was duking and spinning and duked a little bit too much. And next thing, his hamstring tore. Yeah, so wishing a speedy recovery to that player from the Cork City Outlaws. Um, I think then for me, the next 
team in the power rankings has to be the Thomastown Tigers. That, of course, has an asterisk beside it where I'm sure that they will rise in those power rankings if they get the bodies to train and the bodies at games. Yeah, like if their other six or seven players are as talented as the guys that turned up in Cork there at the weekend, you know, they are going to go far this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, then, I suppose, followed by another team that is uh, new to the flag scene are the Quetzals. So we don't really know too much about them, but they've made a fairly good outing for their first day. Well, the Quetzals, um, named after the Quetzal bird, which is an indigenous bird of Guatemala, uh, is made up of quite a few players who would be originally from Mexico who are working over here in Ireland at the minute. Uh, the Quetzals actually got in touch with me last year about playing flag football. Uh, many of the players played flag football in South America. And when they moved over here, they were looking and pretty eager to get get back involved with the sport and get playing again. Uh, they're a team, like I said, not much experience over here playing, but with plenty of experience back in their home countries. They're a team that I can only see going from strength to strength. And the fact that they, you know, got got the win there at the weekend, um, you know, it's a start. They're heading in the right direction. Everything's, you know, going up well for them. Yeah, seems to be. And I take it back. Clearly, we do know a lot about the Quetzals. So in fourth position in this week's power rankings for the flag only teams is the Belfast City Lions. Yeah, I mean, in the one sense, I'm kind of surprised to see that they're starting out on fourth. I would have thought that they would be in first or second spot for sure. But then at the same time, it is a new team. It's a new setup. We know that they are flush for talent. Uh, I suppose we just on this occasion put it down to the distance that they have to travel in order to play. Yeah, six hour travel. You know, they turned it up with some players who, like I said before, uh, were quite new to the sport. It was a mix and talent of veterans and rookies. So to get a one-on-one start, not a bad way to begin. Uh, there's definitely plenty more f- to come from them. This weekend's action being held up in Belfast. Expect a big turnout for them. They will be expecting and will be very disappointed if they do not walk away with two wins. Then in the third position in this week's power rankings, uh, the Dublin Bay Raptors. So the uh, the grandfathers of flag football here in this country. Oh yeah. <laughs> No, Dublin Bay Raptors have been around for many, many years. Um, I believe that they actually formed out of the old Dublin Vipers team, uh, which would be going back even as far as the early 2000s. You know, you've got the likes of uh, Joe Gray. Usually you'd have Sean Douglas. Uh, you'd have the likes of Todd Zaboyan. You know, players that are synonymous with flag football in this country. You know, turning up uh, down to Cork, bit of a travel, you know, bit of a distance. If they weren't playing against the likes of the Eagles, you probably would have seen them come away with two wins from the day. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think it's the matchups that went against them um, this weekend. But uh, we'll see what they do as the as the season progresses. Always been a steady and solid team. So, you know, come the playoffs of this tournament, you can expect them to be, you know, pushing for the finals. Second position then between the Hurricanes and the Eagles. Rob, who do you have? With the utmost respect to both teams, uh, in second place, I'm going to roll with the Canes. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, you just, you know, when Eagles are, are dropping 60 bombs, it's difficult to go against them for that number one spot. You know, great performance by the Hurricanes. Uh, looking at the, the roster for the day, you know, some new faces, some old faces. Um, they're they're a pretty established team, you know. Good leadership, good management, good background is you know 
as we're very keen on, is teams with good management structures. You know, the Hurricanes got the two wins on the day. Uh, they are a Premier Division team in flag football, so you would expect them to get their two wins in, in on the day. Yeah. Great, great leader in Joe Kinahan there. Have to always give him a shout out as soon as we mention the, the Hurricanes. He's doing great stuff and big fans of his work. Yeah, like the likes of Joe, you've also got uh, Jeremy Brown, uh, Luke McIntyre, who I think may have actually dislocated a finger a few months ago. I'm not sure if Luke's actually still playing, um, but quality player for them. Uh, good squad, you know, good numbers. Like everything's pointing in the right direction for them. Uh, hopefully they'll all get back into college for maybe second and third year of whatever their respective degrees are. We wish them luck. Hopefully colleges get back open again. And then like just to finally wrap it up there for the for the flag only teams, you know, it's no surprise to anyone. It's going to be the Eden Derry Eagles. They are the defending national champions for the regular flag football season. They can roll into town with six or seven people and they will leave with a championship. They're a team that don't take themselves too seriously, or so they say. But to be honest, if you're winning championships, you know, year in, year out, being in playoff contention, you're taking something serious. I think that really just rounds up, you know, the Saturday action worth of games. Right, that naturally brings us to the Sunday games, Power Rankings. Who are we putting at the bottom of those rankings? I'm going to start off with the Kildara Crusaders. Um, you know, there's not really much to split them between the likes of them and the Pirates. I think, you know, you would like to say maybe the matchups there this weekend, you know, favoured one team over the other. They really didn't. But the Pirates got rolling from time to time. You know, as I said, they put up 18 points against the Mavericks. They put up 13 points against the Rebels. You know, whether that was from, you know, lack of Rebel play or Pirate play, who knows? But, you know, things seem to be moving in the right direction. They're having fun. You know, the Crusaders also having fun, but I would like to see uh, a little bit more from them. You know, I think uh, if they had a few more skill position players as opposed to sort of your your linemen it might be a, of great benefit to them yeah yeah I'm gonna agree with that assessment I feel like we in the Mavericks have played both the Pirates and the Kildara Crusaders at this stage and I really do feel like the the Pirates were the ones that had us kind of on the run at halftime there uh in that game um delighted that we switched it on in the second half and got the job done but certainly they had us sweating just a little bit more than the Kildara Crusaders did Last week we had uh, UCD, I think, in this next position. Do you feel that they've risen in the ranks based on what they did this week? Yeah, like if, if we were to put UCD as a riser out of this weekend's action after a win and a draw, you know, a win against Mavericks, draw against Trinity, uh, I think it would be very disrespectful to UCD not to have moved them up. Um, taking their position, you know, as the third bottom team after the weekend's action, it has to be, you know, my favourite team it has to be the Mavericks just did not do enough on the game day uh, they've got two wins two wins from two or sorry two wins from four uh, one win against Crusaders one win against the Pirates when they're coming up against sort of the big opposition uh, they haven't produced so third bottom this week has to be the Louth Mavericks oh I disagree I would put the Minotaurs third bottom I do think that if the Mavericks and the Minotaurs were to meet, I, I feel like the Mavericks are going to get that job done. Um, I don't know. Like, you know, with the likes of the, the Minotaurs, you know, we can say what we like about them. But 
when it comes to flag they they're quite an experienced they're quite an established team you know you'll see throughout the the history books that they've always been there i think they've even won a championship these guys know how to play flag football um they're consistent they put a great fight up against the rebels which is something that you know most teams uh you know most teams don't do you know if we're going to compare their performance against the rebels to the mavericks performance against the rebels as a sort of a deciding factor between who should be third bottom and who should be fourth bottom i think their their performance against the rebels actually elevates them above the mavericks Oh, harsh, harsh but fair, harsh but fair. Okay, so the number one spot now uh, is down between Trinity and the Rebels. Rob, who is in your number one spot? Uh, I would have loved to have stuck with the students, but at, at this stage, um, you know, Rebels are 4-0, and students are 3-0-1. So I think we have to give this week's number one spot, both of us, to... Dublin Rebels. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't think you can argue with it. Four and oh. You know, the the facts speak, speak for themselves. Yeah, I agree. So going into the next week, Rebels still on top. And that wraps up another week's action and another week's podcast. If you want to hear us chat more football on a different podcast, you can check out the 4th and Inches podcast this week where both myself and Rob are featured and we discuss all things American Football Ireland on their platform. That's it from us for this week. Signing off, I'm Kelly Dwyer. I'm Rob McCollum. And we'll see you all later.